the dealership, however, doesn't give you the loan that's best for the customer. The dealership will give you the loan that pays the dealership the highest referral fee. The second you drive off the lot, you're already overpaying on interest. And if, if you were to refinance, you could lower your rate and save a lot of money. And then if you delight customers, customers start referring or talking about like the experience they had with your business, which is the most important thing in a startup. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. Today, I have somebody very special for you. Not only is it going to be an educational call, it's also going to potentially help your back pocket. I'm on the line with the wonderful Nicholas Henriksen. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I have two feet and a heartbeat, I like to say. Now, um, <laughs> I, I, I looked at your bio, and it, and it's, it stood out for me because of uh, the conversation we just had. I was involved in this uh, realm, if you like, um, in one way or another. Now, you're involved with, uh, as an entrepreneur, um, vehicles and financing and, and all of that. And we're going to be taking a deep dive into your new venture with Clutch. But before okay. we do that, I, I love to, uh, as a customary thing, uh, introduce you, learn a little bit more about you, your background, things like where you're located and what you like to do when you're not working, if there is such a thing. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with the My Future of Business course, audience? Of course. So I'm from Germany originally. I was born and raised in Munich, moved to Hamburg with my parents. My parents are actually from Argentina originally, so they moved to Germany. Um, and in, 2000, in 2011, I moved to the US. Before I moved to the US, I, I used to play golf on the national team in Germany, decided to not turn pro studied computer science and, and finance, and then went to the US to pursue my, my MBA at Stanford. And so, so do, you, do, you, do you still uh, enjoy playing sports? Uh, yeah, so I, golf is tricky because it, it used to be my job, and now the expectations are so high, and so every time I go on the course, I feel like it's nowhere, nowhere near it used to be, and so I don't enjoy playing golf that much. But I do, do like going for a run and being outside, playing volleyball and being healthy. This is very important because it gives context to the My Future Business audience who are here to be educated. They're here to get take value. Um, so we are uh, certainly going to be talking about your new business venture. But I'd love to just tap into a little bit of a, the mindset of a successful entrepreneur and, and what your journey looked like from the moment that you graduated uh, from university sure. and, and how it's gone from there. Sure. So I did undergrad in Germany. Um, all my peers went to banking and consulting. And so I looked into consulting, worked for Bain & Company for three months um, as a summer internship. I looked into investment banking, worked for Merrill Lynch for three months in M&A. And I felt like this, it wasn't entrepreneurial enough for me. I felt like this was a job and Bain was fun. Consulting was fun because you travel a lot and you have a fun lifestyle. But I didn't feel like I was solving big problems. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I was limited to to like I solved one problem and then my job became a little bit to tell the customer all the other things they could do yeah. in order to maintain a relationship with them because ultimately that's as an advisor you you only get paid if you have a relationship and an engagement and so instead of telling the customer what what I felt was best for him I had to tell him something that secured an ongoing engagement 
Yeah. And so I just didn't feel like that was what I wanted to do. Instead, I joined a company that invested in an early stage startup, basically, that invested in renewable energy projects in China and in India. So headquartered in Germany, I flew to Mumbai a lot and Beijing a lot, and we started investing in projects over there. That company didn't go anywhere. It was a really, really fun experience, and I learned a lot, but we, it's too tough. We didn't have enough capital to actually have a de- make a dent. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I decided, okay, I wanted to leave Germany and leave that space, pursue an MBA, and then go into tech and startups. And that's how I ended up in Stanford. This is a, a really great uh, story because it, it talks to you not only about the successes, because behind every major success that seemed to have happened overnight, there wasn't actually that. That's not yeah. the truth of it, is there? It never is true. <laughs> so these these journeys, when you look back, they they look so positive and easy, but it's not. In fact, this was funny. At, at business school, I asked some of my classmates, this was a dead serious question. Hey, do you feel that you work for any company where you where you made more money for the company than you cost them? And people looked at me, and Americans are very confident. Sometimes, like, of course, every job I was pr- producing more value. And I'm like, I, I, I don't think that's true for me. <laughs> I think in every startup, but every company that I worked for, those weren't many at the time because I was still in my 20s. But I, I, I didn't even get a high salary, but like, I also wasn't contributing as much to the top line as I wish I did. Mm-hmm. And only after business school did I get into roles and into positions where I, I think I created much more value than I cost these companies. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of failure. Like Phil Knight, uh, that's the founder of Nike. He, he actually went to Stanford Business School too. He became a big donor. And he, he has this very famous saying that I like a lot, um, where he says, you can fail as often as you want for as long as you don't fail the last time you try. Ah, there you go. <laughs> the revolving door. I, I wonder... Yeah. Um, you know, when we when we look at these um, very successful businesses, they all took it on themselves to create something special to add value. But then they possibly woke up one morning and, and realized, hey, I'm the boss. Um, I have the responsibility for everything that happens. I've got the control and I have the freedom, but I have to make this happen. Yeah. When you had that realization, <laughs> was it scary or was it empowering for you? So, yeah, I mean, both and yeah. a lot more. <laughs> um, first of all, the, the business, maybe I should tell what happened after business school and then answer that question. So mm-hmm. after business school, my very good friend, Chris and classmate and I started a company. Think of Amazon for used cars. So we're selling used cars online. I, I had no specific affinity for cars, but Chris is a huge car nut. His first car was, in fact, a DeLorean. Oh, for, wow. for the Americans, they would know that that's the, the car from Back to the Future from the movie. Of course. <laughs> so that's the extent to which he likes cars. We went to the car space um, and we, we stumbled into it because our classmates asked Chris, my co-founder, for, for advice how to sell a car. And so we ended up selling our classmates' cars after graduation. Um, and to answer your question, whether I felt impaired or like whether there were moments where I didn't know what to do. That's actually every day. Luckily, <laughs> I had a business partner. And so if both of us felt the same way, then we felt like, okay, actually, this this might be just the normal journey of being an entrepreneur. And so after, after a little bit of time, we realized there's really three different types of problems you need to solve. One problem where you can find data 
and so the data suggests whether you should go left or right let's yeah. say so the data will tell you what to do there's one problem that you've never seen before but other people had before and so that's where you involve mentors because like in our case for example when we needed to let somebody go he had done a good job but the role we made a mistake like that role we didn't need that role and so what should we do should we let investors equity should we pay severance so all these questions they can be very very like either demoralizing or can impair you and you're not moving fast mm -hmm. and you don't know what the right answer is but this this took us a quick text message or a call of one of our mentors like here's how you do it i'm glad you asked um and then you solve these problems really quickly and then you have a third category of problems or challenges that you need to address where you have neither data nor somebody who's been in the same position before and so there i think you you really need to trust your gut and your 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 values your value system um because ultimately as a as a founder entrepreneur you're doing something that nobody else has done before you're trying something that everybody else has not tried before that people might think is crazy and so you really need to have a north star that you're following and and for as long as you stay truth to your true to yourself you often find these answers just by by trusting your your gut if that makes sense yeah absolutely thank you for sharing this sage uh, insight I, I i'm loving this conversation now i wonder um when when you started getting into this space um your mindset was in the right place and you knew that there was a lot of work to do um how did you uncover the process for this new venture with clutch did you have to surround yourself with a team of people how did that unfold yeah so quick before i answer this i'll do the same thing i'll yeah, provide yeah. a little more context what happened first so we started this uh amazon for used cars mm -hmm. we raised a total of 10 million dollars in venture funding we ran it for four years and what was supposed to be a tech company became a very very operational business so we thought we can be very hands-off and and just be a technology platform but we found that in order to create good customer experiences we actually became basically a car dealership with the only difference is that we didn't store any cars it was all virtual um, and so since that business wasn't scaling or growing as fast as we wanted it to we had started to have conversations with quote-unquote competitors or other people in the space and there's a company in the u.s called carvana that's doing really 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 well mm -hmm. was at that time already much bigger than us had a few structural advantages and when we started connecting with them, comparing notes, we ended up realizing that we had built something that they needed. And in order to accelerate both of our companies, it would make sense if our company joined their efforts and we just sold all everything that we've built at the time. So we sold the business in 2017 and stayed on for three years. Feels like feels like yesterday, but it's been three years that we have been with Carvana. Mm -hmm. And then we left to start the business with clutch.com that you mentioned earlier. It's it's a it's a journey, isn't it? I, 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 uh, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and and I think to myself, there are so many elements to the structure of it. Um, I want to help the audience understand about, I guess the the finer details that they may not be aware of, and some of the benefits that they can uh, attract to themselves if they're locked into existing arrangements, want to look for a better deal. Talk us through yeah. that side of it. Yeah. So. There were two insights in our journey in the car space that led to the new business. Number one was when we were still selling cars ourselves before we'd sold the company, we noticed a tension that we didn't appreciate. Our customers haggled endlessly on cars. That's just natural. 
and then when it came time to pay for the car, customers asked us for for a loan. And so that's 80% of the people who buy cars get their loan at the dealership. The dealership, however, doesn't give you the loan that's best for the customer. The dealership will give you the loan that pays the dealership the highest referral fee. Yeah. The second you drive off the lot, you're already overpaying on interest. And if, if you were to refinance, you could lower your rate and save a lot of money. That was insight number one that we had before we sold the company. When we were working at Carvana, we started understanding credit data a lot better. We looked at competitors and saw that there's a number of lenders that are focused on the on the segment of the population with slightly challenged credit. And so if a customer with credit score credit scores can range between 350 and 850, 350 mm-hmm. be the low end, 850 be the, the upper end. If a customer with, with customer with say 600 credit score gets a car, interest rate will be could be 16, 18% or something like that. So high two digits, uh, high teens. Um, and then if the customer makes payments for six, 12 or 18 months, that customer will move in credit score very quickly. So he'll, he or she will improve her credit. And if that person were to buy a new car, the interest rate would be much, much lower, more like six, seven or 8%. Yeah. Yet that person is stuck in the loan that the person got when he or she bought the car. And so, the combination of the dealer marking up the rates on day one and then customers making payments and improving their credit leads to a huge opportunity to uh, to refinance auto loans and people just don't do it. Well, this is the thing. It's it. This is one of the reasons the My Future Business Show is so useful and adds value to people because it actually educates um, people. Now, I, I wonder if we can go back to the entrepreneurial side and the business relationship sure. side, because I think that's important because people want to know the people behind the business. Um, yep. what, what's it like um, setting up such a significant venture with a co-founder? Yeah, so it, it, it's much more nuanced than you imagine. Um, and what you're, what you're not realizing is that you're basically marrying that person in oh, some yeah. way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> You're signing a lot of paperwork that you're owning a company together. A lot of that is not easily reversible. Um, it's actually easier to get divorced than to remove your co-founder. <laughs> so be very careful and then think about it twice. Uh, but in reality, it's really, really, really important that you know the other person very well. Not in the good times, but you need to know how the person reacts when there's a lot of stress because that will be yes. your day-to-day. Yeah. Um, and so as a result, you, you see, sadly, you see a lot of co-founders split at some point and then moving separate ways and very often the company suffers because you have two humans oftentimes very type a type of people um that are, that are used to making decisions themselves that need to come together and, and build a business and in our case we got really lucky because number one chris and i have very very different skill sets mm-hmm. so chris is is a total thinker he went to mit for undergrad studied mechanical engineering is incredibly smart reads a lot um, likes doing research and he just spends a lot of time thinking and comes up with incredible ideas and endless ideas and i'm more of a doer so i get impatient when you force me to read something and i'll skim it but then i want to run and <laughs> so the combination of somebody who, who comes up with good ideas and presents here's 10 things we could do that's Chris. And then me on the other end, looking at the 10 things and being relatively good at determining which one is the one that we can execute quick, quickest on leads to this fact where we have this handoff, like he creates ideas, he hands them off to me and I run with it very fast. And, and, and it gets so, done. It's very complimentary. 
exactly so we and this is just a coincidence like we didn't know uh, but we are very complementary and then it, in the beginning we were very complementary no knew that noticed that but you still you know there's still edges where you overlap and so these overlaps are often areas where people start fighting mm-hmm. the other the other thing that luckily came in our favor is that Chris and I don't have very big egos like I, I don't mind being wrong and wrong all the time. He also don't doesn't mind being wrong. And when we have a disagreement, which we disagree all the time in a very friendly way, we both agree that data will tell us who was right or wrong, yeah. and it doesn't matter who was right or wrong. So yeah. when when Chris thinks one thing, and I think think the other, we just agree which hypothesis we would test first, and then we really don't care what the result is. Like there, there's we just want the right thing for the company, and when we find something that works. Like that excitement is so much more important to us than whoever came up with the idea. Uh, that that that's it leads to a really really smooth relationship. And so we got lucky in the beginning because we didn't know that we were complementary. And now, now that we've worked with each other for seven years, we go into investor meetings. Like we don't we don't even need a point to one or the other who responds to one or the other question because we naturally know who's better served yeah. to answer questions. And so. I'm not sure whether people notice, but if you pay a little attention, I think you'll be surprised how, how there's like very distinct skill sets and 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 areas of expertise between the two of us. And the personality traits and all those other much, softer yeah. skills yeah. to to observe. Um, as long as it's moving the needle towards you hitting your ultimate end goals, that's what's important here. That's what I'm exactly. taking away. Uh, yeah. There are so many different directions that we could take this call. I, I think one what I'd like to ask is. Are there any plans to diversify your lot range, meaning beyond vehicle, like beyond cars, at like motorbikes yeah. and other vehicles? So, and the we we left the business of selling cars. Mm-hmm. Carvana still does that. It's obviously like the majority of my net worth is still linked to that one company because the way we got paid when we sold the company was in shares, not in mm-hmm. cash. And so that's we've gotten incredibly lucky there. Um, Carvana will not sell any motor vehicles, uh, any motorbikes or anything else in the near future. Carvana's when we joined, that was short before we went public. We went public at a two billion dollar valuation. Carvana three years later is worth twenty five billion dollars. Wow, that ten x. Yet Carvana's market share in the used car market in the U.S. is barely, barely above zero point five percent. You know. Can I say what I like about you is that you're down to earth. You, you know, there's like you said earlier, there's no ego, or at least it's not obvious. And I think that's yeah. so, so important for people that are um, customer facing. I don't necessarily let you be customer facing, but when they meet a representative of a, of a business, they want to be approachable. How important is that in in your business, given that it's all online? Um, being approachable. Hmm. And available to to answer questions. Yeah, so I think I think there's actually two dimensions within which you want to be approachable. You're talking about customers. I think even more so, even more important is being approach very approachable to your employees. Right. Because you you want to build something really big. Uh, you want to grow incredibly fast. That means you need to empower people. Um, you you can't intimidate them by making overruling decisions or anything else. And so what I've learned for myself is that at Carvana, I ran a team of close to 180 people. Mm-hmm. And so the feedback I've gotten all the time was that I was so incredibly approachable. I sat next to the most quote unquote junior people in order to understand what their role is like so I could help them improve it. 
and and to the extent to which the people like I I was sitting next to the junior people I was having lunch with them I just really needed to understand and want to understand how they take what motivates them so we can build a big organization that that scales really nicely and if you do that with your team the team that's it becomes part of the culture and the team then extends that same approach approachability to to customers because ultimately everybody wants to like we're all in we're all in this together to yeah. create that culture where everybody wants the same everybody's very aligned uh, no egos again and then then you, you want the same thing for the customer and so as a result of setting the culture internally you, your whole team sets that or lives that culture externally with customers and and then if you delight customers which that's the most important thing in an early stage company customers start referring or talking about the the like the experience they had with your business and, and your team. And then that triggers word of mouth and starts the flywheel, which is the most important thing in a startup because you, you need to grow exponentially to build a big business. Thank you for sharing. I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, um, what was it, 180 employees in the past? I don't know how many there are right now, but I suspect there's a, a fair few of them. Um, and on that basis, if you're training them and empowering them to make decisions they're responsible ultimately for those decisions you're not overriding unless absolutely necessary what sort of systems are in place for for their support that you offer them yeah really are they good written? Question, are they verbal? how does it how does it work no this is really good really good question so there's a few things you can just put into let's call it policies we don't have a policy but you could write it down you could document it mm-hmm. um there's things you can't document. Like you, you just need people to have the same mindset. For example, Carvana did a really good job with that. I'll, I'll use one of their examples. We, you need a nice. You need to be really nice to customers. Like obviously that's true, but how nice do I need to be? And so that's really difficult to train. And instead of like writing down words you should use or or not, uh, or the the way you should approach customers or not. Carvana did a really good job taking a big step back and said, I, I can't tell you what works to use. This needs to be, it needs to come from your heart. You need to, you need to breathe that. It needs to be part of the soul of the company. And so one value of Carvana is treat your, treat the next customer as if, as if it was your mom. And so if everybody thinks about like that value, then everybody chooses like different words, obviously, but everybody gives their utmost most effort and everything they can do to to help the customer because that's what you would do with your mom and so less than documenting exactly what you need to do the systems in a startup are very very much cultural based if that makes sense yes. does that make sense absolutely absolutely and uh you know and i think to myself there are so many times where leaders get it wrong and you can see the divergence of culture because they're not leading from the front they're not sitting down having lunches with their the lower level workers, if you like. Um, there's just so much good good content coming out of this call. Now, I'd love to, if we could, um, shift into the mechanics of the business that uh, is with Clutch. Could you talk yep. about, I guess, the the onboarding, the application, sure. how that all unfolds? Sure. So I'll put a I'll, I'll put it into context, and I'll be going to detail. Yep. Last year in 2019, 47 so close to 50% of all funded mortgage applications for houses were refinances. So refinancing in the mortgage space is super common. The reason that number was so high last year was because the interest rate dropped. Mm-hmm. 
at the same time, refinances for car loans was less than 5% of all the car loan application, the funded car loan application. And so that number being so low suggests that most people don't even know you can refinance. Like there is clearly a small portion, it's 5% or a little less of the market that knows you can refinance. And so these people will look for solutions to mm -hmm. refinance, but the majority of people are not even looking for it or they don't call it refinance. And so since you asked about the mechanics, there's one, one population that you can just harvest on Google. They're looking for, I want to refinance my auto loan. Yeah. And so these people, you get to the website, you ask them to provide the information. Everything you ask these customers to provide or these users to provide makes sense to them because they come with the intent to refinance. And so if I ask them for their personal information so I can pull out their loans, like that, that's totally expected. There will not be any surprises. Um, and so the mechanics will be come to the website, provide your personal information, give consent that we can pull up your credit record, your motor vehicle record, so we can match a loan to the car. Mm -hmm. And then we have, we work with lenders to get, we call it buy boxes. These buy boxes tell us what rate will be true for what customers. And so then we get to a, to a firm credit approval with as little as three clicks. And then what really happens in the background, we'll swap the loan, we'll pay off the old loan, give you a new loan you pay to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, the customer doesn't need to know that that just happens yeah. the, the most important thing is it has to happen really quickly because customers they just don't have a lot of uh, long attention span they need like people are used to getting things quickly now since it's all online and so we're the first one to do it 100% online that's for the segment of the population who knows you can refinance the bigger mm -hmm. portion of the population doesn't know you can refinance what they do know though is that they want to save money so what they enter into Google is not how to refinance my car. What they enter is, I want, I'm overpaying on my Honda Accord or lower my payments on my Toyota 4Runner. Yeah. And so when, when you attract these people to the website, we, we're writing a lot of content around, here's multiple ways how you can lower your car payments. And by the way, you're not, you're not paying attention to all the things that, that are car payments. You have your car, obviously, which is the loan. You have insurance products, you have warranty products, you have other insurance products, uh, you have registration costs. And so there's a wide variety of expenses related to a car. And you might be thinking of any, like you could be thinking of either of them or all of them or none of them. You might even think about something else that we forgot. And mm -hmm. so these people we need to capture based on what they are thinking about in the moment. And we don't know what it is. So we need to offer a, bright range, a broad range of content. And then the content guides you, these could be videos or explainer videos or just written articles, guide you through, hey, you want to lower your payments on your Toyota. That means you, you must have bought at the dealership. You probably got a loan at the dealership. You might be overpaying on the loan. So that's refinance. Refinance means we'll pay off your existing loan. You get a new one with a lower rate. And so this is how we get people through the funnel to a, a, to a place where all of a sudden somebody who didn't know you can refinance knows you can refinance and then the same the same steps as for the previous group apply ideally from from personal information to from credit offering as little as three clicks it's a, a very quick process that would change a lot of people's lives especially those who were unaware that there was options out there yeah that's the plan i can interestingly I can, can only now we have yeah like we're hopeful obviously we're in the early stages but mm. the market is big there is, to put things into perspective, there is 100 million auto loans, 100 million. So every, like more than 25% of the Americans have an auto loan. 
20% uh, of those would qualify for a really healthy refinance where you can save a lot of money. So 20 million people could refinance today and save thousands of dollars. It's really big. So um, in terms of this, the, the content and the resources uh, that people can access, where are they actually going to find them? Are they on your website or on YouTube? Where yeah. are they going to go? Good question. So the people who... People don't go straight to our website because they don't know we exist. What people usually do is exactly what he said. They either go to Google and look for solutions to their problems. Mm -hmm. And we need to be as broad as possible in answering these questions. So we have articles on our website that rank in Google. And the more time passes, the more content we write, the higher we will rank. And then hopefully customers will automatically find their way to us. Mm -hmm. We're also using uh, YouTube. And social media, we were starting to tell customers around, hey, there's processes you're not aware of. Take some time to watch this video and explains to you how to lower your payments. And there we're in the early stages too. Yeah, well, it looks uh, like you have a full marketing plan. There's, there's actions afoot. And now um, with all that being said, um, what is the actual website when people want to find you? Yeah, you can go to withclutch.com. The company's called Clutch. And the idea is refinance with clutch.com. Fantastic. Well, look, everybody was on the call list today. Um, <laughs> if you've just heard about um, refinancing and your, your ears are pricking up to this, this is a great opportunity to get involved with Nicholas and his wonderful team at with clutch. And in saying all of that, Nicholas, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show today. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.